Well, Crosswinds, this is my last opportunity to get to speak to you or, or, or teach you as part of our Sunday services in this format. Uh, next week, Andrea is teaching while I take some time to get things ready for the reopening of our indoor services. And um, when we go back indoors, we won't be recording sermons like this anymore, where, where we as teachers just talk directly to the camera. What you'll be seeing if you continue to watch online is a recording of our indoor service. And, and while I can't wait to do our indoor thing again, I want you to know, I will miss getting to teach you from beaches and parks and, and fairgrounds and forests from time to time. And, and I wanna just make sure I say thanks to you for hanging in with this somewhat unconventional format we've been doing for 16 months now. Every single week I wonder, is anyone gonna bother to watch this? And every week you show up. And, and believe me, that says more about your inquisitive nature and your desire to learn. It says more about the value that you place on scripture and understanding. It says more about your dedication to your growth in following Jesus than anything else. So way to go. Um, for those of you who are rejoining us indoors on June 13th, I cannot wait to see you. Uh, for those of you who will be joining us for our outdoor service, you're not watching this right now because you've probably already been joining us for the outdoor services. For those of you who will keep watching online, we will still be here in the same place that you're watching this video. It's just gonna look a little bit different. All right, weird question. Have you ever been to Missouri? Let me just tell you, Missouri is a little bit different than the Bay Area where most of you watching this are from or, or where you live right now. I spent like two days in Missouri a couple of years back. I was there speaking at the chapel for an organization that Crosswinds was partnering with. And, and while it was beautiful and there was a lot to do, I was just struck at how uh, Bible Belt it was compared to where we live here in California. The people were so nice. And, and so charitable, but no joke, the restaurant that we ate at for lunch, our server came over and she prayed for our meal for us. That's Missouri to me. Well, in 2002, the state of Missouri thought that they had a problem, goth kids. I, I laugh even just saying it. Uh, do you guys remember goth culture in the early 2000s? It definitely went along with a certain kind of music, but it was more of a, a look. Uh, maybe some of you were goth, or, or your kids were. Dressing in all black, sometimes wearing pale makeup, painting your fingernails and your, and your lips black. Basically, kids who seemed to look like Robert Smith from The Cure. These were the kids hanging out around Hot Topic at Stone Ridge Mall, or any other Hot Topic across the country. You don't see it as much anymore, although I will tell you, if you go to Disneyland around Halloween when they do the Nightmare Before Christmas layover on the Haunted Mansion, you will see lots of people with subtle tones of a goth look visiting the park and hanging out near that ride. Anyway, the state of Missouri was worried that they had a problem, that goth culture was finding its way to Missouri. And so they awarded a grant to their state police, uh, the, the Youth Outreach Unit of the police, a grant of $273,000. That is a lot of money, $273,000. They tasked the Youth Outreach Unit with an important job, saving the young people of Missouri from the goth subculture. So they began setting up the program. The initial cost to set it up, just to get it ready, it was $141,000, so a little more than half the money just to get going. And the youth outreach unit got to work. Undercover police at hot topics all across the state. 
I'm just kidding. I'm not sure what they did, but in the course of their work, they made a discovery that required them giving the rest of the money back to the state. Are you ready for what it was? They were unable to find any Missouri youth who had been influenced by goth culture. Nowhere in the entire state of Missouri could they find any goth kids. The big problem that they had funded a solution for was not a problem. And it was not a problem. Well, I tell you that story because I think it illustrates something that is true about all of us. Every single one of us, we are better at problem noticing than problem solving. When it comes to problems, we are very good at noticing them, right? We see them coming from far away or we see them happening right in the present. We're, we're good at evaluating the problems of what went wrong in the past. We are great at it. In fact, we are so much better at problem noticing than solving. I'll tell you, I can walk onto our church campus and immediately see 10 things that are a problem that we need to fix. Andrea can walk into our backyard, our backyard at home, which, which I think is good enough, but she can walk out there and see 20 things that are problems that we need to fix. Um, you have been listening to this sermon for five minutes and have probably already caught something I said that's problematic, likely about the people of Missouri or stereotyping the kind of person who shops at Hot Topic. We, we are all better at problem noticing than problem solving. And what that means is that because sometimes the problem itself gets so much attention, the solutions can be hard to come by. The problem takes up so much mental space that our solving skills take a back seat. The former COO of Ritz-Carlton Hotels tells a story about, about one of their hotels that had a problem with room service. Numerous complaints kept coming into management because room service was taking far too long. The eggs were cold, the toast was hard, the guests were inconvenienced. And so the typical response from management at the hotel, it was to scold the room service supervisor for being incompetent. That's how they would try and solve the problem. Of course, you know what would happen from there. The discouraged supervisor would gather their staff around, do the same thing to them. Blame would cascade down from one person to the next. The problem was big. People hate our room service. And about all they could think to do was point fingers at management and then management point fingers at the kitchen staff. Well, one manager at this Ritz did something different. She, she assembled the team and together they studied the problem and they found the kitchen staff prepared the food on time. The staff quickly took the trays to the elevator for delivery, but they discovered that the issue had nothing to do with the kitchen staff, but rather the service elevators were not always available. The elevators to take the hot food up to the rooms. One morning, they used a stopwatch to time the elevators. They were taking far too long to get down to the kitchen. And here, here's what they came to realize. What they came to realize is that the reason had to do with the decision months earlier. In order to save money, the hotel had decided to reduce the number of clean bedsheets that were stored on each floor. Like now, in order to get clean bedsheets, the housekeepers would have to go down a floor or two bring them back up and then finish the rooms. And this tied up the elevators, making them take longer to get to the kitchen. And what it was resulting in, angry customers with cold scrambled eggs. But for months, for months, the best solution they had come up with, blame employees, the kitchen must be doing something wrong. It's, it's just to say, 
Part of why we're good at noticing problems, not so good at solving them, it's because our tendency to misdiagnose a problem is really, really great. We think we know what's causing a problem when often we don't. And sometimes it's because there are things we just can't possibly know. And, and really, this is not that big of a deal when we think about room service or problems with our homes we'd like to fix, you know, a leaky faucet, even a problem that you might be trying to solve at work, maybe not that big a deal. But our ability to notice problems and then not know how to solve them, it actually becomes its own problem when these things get far more personal. When the problem is in your marriage, when the problem is with you and one of your kids, when the problem is with your health, when the problem is a financial hole that you've dug yourself into, when the problem is your mental health, depression, and, and you can't seem to snap out of whatever you're feeling. These are problems where, where it becomes a serious problem if you're better at noticing it than solving it. I, I wanna ask you to do something right now. Uh, if you are watching this on video, I just want you to pause it and go get a pen and a piece of paper. It, it can be small, small piece of paper. I'm gonna have you write three words on this. Get something to write with and, and on, and then come back. All right, I'm assuming that you are back now. Think of three problems that you have right now in your life. I want you to write them down. Three problems that you have been noticing. And, and I should say, I don't mean problems like, I gotta get that crack in my windshield fixed and I can't find the time. I, I would just go a little bit bigger with these. I'm talking problems that have really been on your mind lately. Maybe they're things you've been thinking about for a few months, a few years even. And, and nobody else is gonna see this but uh, just in case you lose this paper and, and somebody else does come across it, feel free to be as cryptic as you want. Like you can write the word marriage if that's one of your problems right now, but if your spouse is sitting next to you, you don't wanna write that. So just write apple and you'll know that apple means marriage. Three problems, three things that are not working the way that you want. Just write them down a word for each one that will help you remember what they are. I want you to have them on your mind today as we look at the Bible together. Now, here's the thing about those problems that you wrote down and the things that I've written down. When we notice problems somewhere in us, we know we're, we're not so good at solving them, so we turn to things to help us solve them. We turn to YouTube, lots of solutions and tutorials on YouTube. And we turn to self-help books, and we turn to the advice of our friends, and we turn to religion. Although, actually, I say that, but the truth is, People are doing that less than ever before. Uh, get this, in, in 1957, they asked Americans whether religion could answer all or most of the day's problems. 1957, 82% of people said yes, religion could. In 2002, they asked the same question. Only 66% of Americans said yes. Recently, they asked again, it dropped to 55%, and I would guess it's even lower than that after the pandemic. Fewer people are thinking that religion will solve their problems. And I wonder if with that comes some bitterness. Like, if God is God, why isn't he doing anything about the problems on my list? If I have been praying for God to solve the problems that I can't solve myself, what's taking so long? Personally, uh, I wonder if that drop in people who think religion can solve their problems actually also represents an increase in the amount of people who resent God for not doing more. And maybe you have dealt with that too. The three things on your list, you expected God to do something by now. 
Well, today I want to show you the next piece of Psalm 23 that speaks to what God is doing about those things on your list. You are not alone in noticing your problems. God has noticed them too. And I want to show you what Psalm 23 says about what God is going to do about them. We're in a series where we are slowly going through Psalm 23. So far, we've looked at verses 1 through 4. Today, we're going to look at verse 5. Now, let me tell you, we have said this every single week. I'm going to just say it again. Psalm 23 was written by David. David, who we know was a shepherd, and then he was a warrior, and then he was king. We don't know exactly which one of those seasons he was in when he wrote Psalm 23, but I'm going to guess, I'm going to make an educated guess that this poem was written before he was king. And the reason is because of some of what we've talked about in previous weeks. Uh, David seems to use this psalm to reassure himself that God will provide for him. All right, kings, usually not so worried about provision, right? And David seems to reassure himself here that God will protect him with his rod and staff. We talked about that last week. Well, before David became king, he had a pretty scary enemy in the previous king, Saul. Protection was probably a bigger need in his life before he was king than after. And David uses this poem to, to reassure himself that God is going to steer him down the right paths, which might be something you need if you know that you're going to be king someday, but the current king is out to get you. I'm, I'm telling you all that because I, I want to tell you what seems to be on David's list of problems. I want to tell you what is on David's list of three things. Enemies, not having enough, like running out of food and money and whatever. He's not rich yet. And the third thing, uncertainty. What does the future hold? I'm living in limbo. Enemies, not having enough, uncertainty. That is his list. Now, knowing that, let's read verse 5. David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That's it. Short verse, but there's a lot to it. Let's dig in. He says, God... You prepare a table. A few weeks ago, I, I mentioned a guy named Philip Keller. He, he wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. He was born in East Africa in 1920, spent part of his life as a shepherd. And he talks about this phrase, you prepare a table. He explains that the higher flat ranges that, that shepherds would lead their sheep to, they were called tablelands because they kind of look like the top of a table. In fact, my parents live in Southern Oregon these days, and, and there's a mountain, uh, or maybe it's considered a hill near them. I don't know what it is. It's called Table Rock. And the reason is because the top of it is just a flat table-looking thing. It's, it, it's really cool to see from below. It's even better with the aerial shots. Well, he explains that in the summers, shepherds would lead their sheep up to these tablelands because you would often find a good amount of grass up there for them to eat. But before the herd would go all the way up to the tablelands, the shepherd would need to scout ahead. The shepherd would go and figure out exactly where on the table he was going to lead the sheep. And, and, and the shepherd would bring salt and bring minerals to put on the part of the table where he wanted the sheep to eat and graze. And the shepherd would figure out ahead of time where he and the sheep were going to spend the night on the table. And the shepherd would check for poisonous weeds on the table. He tells the story about the first ranch that he owned. It had a plant on it called camas. And there were white camas and blue camas. 
And white camas was really good for sheep. They could and should eat as much of that as they wanted, but blue camas was poisonous, especially for, for little lambs. And so before he would take his sheep out to this ranch, he and his sons would go in the spring and they would pull out the blue camas before the sheep got there. So now just think about this. All right, putting out salts and minerals, figuring out ahead of time where the sheep were gonna sleep when night came, removing all the poisonous weeds. All of this is preparing the table. And, and where are the sheep while all of this is going on? Who knows? Grazing in a green pasture somewhere, lying down when they get full, hanging out beside a still water, but more likely, getting hungry. Especially if they're on their way up to the table. And possibly the sheep are getting scared, especially if the sun's getting ready to go down and they're walking through the darkest valley. It's possible that while the shepherd is off preparing the table, the sheep are starting to notice problems. Yeah, let, let, me, let me say that again, but I'll just flip it. While the sheep are noticing their problems, the shepherd is off preparing the table. What we know from an actual shepherd and his work on a table is that while the sheep might not know it, the shepherd is working to solve their problems. And this is what David is trying to tell us in verse 5. And it is the main thing that you must know this week. You tell yourself that God is missing in the midst of your problem. God tells you that he is working on your problem in ways that you won't know until you get to the table. God is working on the solution that is the table before you get there. Um, I love good barbecue food. I imagine many of you do too. We could probably sit and talk about uh, our favorite barbecue restaurants around the Bay Area all day long. But if you know barbecue, you know something, right? The person or the people making your barbecue, they made it hours ago, perhaps even the night before. Um, my favorite thing to get at, at one local barbecue restaurant around here is the burnt ends. And when they first started serving burnt ends on their menu, it would say um, limited supply or, or as long as they're available, something like that. And I always used to think, why is there a limited supply? This is the most popular thing on the menu. If you run out, just go back to the kitchen and make me more burnt ends. And then I learned that burnt ends require cooking an entire brisket. And, and, and they are just the ends of a brisket that somebody else ordered. And you can't have burnt ends without making a brisket for someone else. Also, that they're called burnt ends because they are cooked longer than anything else to render all the fat out. And, and if this restaurant were to go make some burnt ends for me in the kitchen from scratch, I would be sitting there waiting 12 and a half hours. Thank God before I knew it. Before I even knew I wanted to go get barbecue that night. It's 6 a.m. that morning while I was still asleep. Or at 9 p.m. the night before, thank God somebody said, that guy is going to have a problem tomorrow. A hankering for burnt ends. Let's start preparing a table now. Okay, this is what God is doing with you. And as you sit, noticing your problem and wondering how to solve it, what you must know is that he has been working to prepare a table, and you, you're just not at the table yet. He might be working in somebody's heart that you have a conflict with. He might be working to clear a path for an opportunity that you've been waiting for. You know, we sing this around here that even when you can't see what God is doing, there are thousands of small ways he might be working for your good, for you, 
that you just don't know about yet. Now, remember David's three problems, right? Enemies, not having enough, and uncertainty. Let, let me show you something he says about this table that God has been preparing. David says, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. God prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. What does that mean? Well, enemies are one of David's problems. They're one of his top three. And what we see here, it's not just that God is preparing a table, but this table is exactly the table that David needs for his unique problem. It is a unique table suited to his situation. I love the biker video that we showed you earlier where the bikers take that kid to school in the presence of his bullies. They show up, they walk him in. Don't mess with this kid, he's our friend. All right, this is exactly what David says God will do with him at this table that God is preparing. Now, you may think that this is meaningless to you if, if you didn't write down enemies on your list or something like it. Like, this is all just about David and what he's dealing with. What, what does this have to do with me? Okay, what we see here is that God prepares a table, a solution for your specific problem, just like David's. You know, we, we tend to speak about God in generalities. We, we say things like, God is working for the best, or God makes all things work together for good. Those things are true, but David has a specific problem, right? Enemies, he's got people trying to kill him. And he says very specifically, God's got a solution for me. He's preparing a table to solve my specific problem. And that is true for you as well. If you wrote down marriage or apple, you could write this Psalm, God, you prepare a table before me that will heal my marriage. If you wrote down time management is my problem, you could write this psalm, God, you prepare a table before me that will help me redeem my time. God is preparing a solution for your specific problem, for what you put on your list. All right, let's look at the next line. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Can we talk about anointing with oil? Um, you may have heard somebody talk about what anointing someone with oil meant in the Bible. I've talked about it before. But here in Psalm 23, talking about it in this context is kind of unique. Because remember, we're still in this sheep-shepherd metaphor. Check it out. There is a kind of fly that is really dangerous for sheep. It's called a blowfly. Uh, the blowfly will lay its eggs on a sheep, and within 24 hours, the larva will penetrate the skin and multiply, and before you know it, the sheep is poisoned. Well, there was a treatment. Still today, there is a treatment. It's called backlining, where a shepherd would pour a certain ointment on the animal's head and then down along its back, and this would bring the sheep back to health. Okay, David knew this as he was writing. So, so when he says, you anoint my head with oil, what he's saying is one of the things that God prepares at the table is health for me. My mental health, my physical health, my spiritual health. God is preparing a table to make me healthy. Here's another thing, thing that anointing with oil means. It means gladness. Um, in Isaiah 61, Isaiah, who's a prophet sent to deliver God's messages to his people, he writes this. He says, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. In other words, that's a problem. The poor have a problem. I have good news for them. He goes on. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release, uh, proclaim release from darkness for the prisoners. Get it, he just lists problem, problem, problem. And he says, I'm here to tell you that God's got a solution to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. Check this out. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. And here it is, the oil of joy instead of mourning. Look at that, the oil of joy. One of the things it meant to anoint a head with oil was to shower joy and gladness on someone. He's saying the table that you're preparing for me is one that is gonna bring me joy. So my problem may be uncertainty. Remember one of David's is uncertainty. What's gonna happen with my future? And he reassures himself here in Psalm 23, no, the solution that God is already working on is gonna bring joy and gladness. And I don't know what you wrote for your three problems, but I'm gonna guess that part of why you've noticed them as a problem at all is because they're bringing you grief, the opposite of joy. And I hope that you know today that the solution that God is working on for you, that you don't see yet, because you're not at the table, it's not ready. It's a solution that will bring you health, joy, and gladness again. If he anoints your head with oil, it's to bring you back to health and bring joy in place of your mourning. Now, the last line in this verse, David says, my cup overflows. You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Remember his list, right? Enemy problem, check. You've anointed my head with oil, which means you'll restore my health and bring gladness back into my life. Uncertainty problem, check. But here David says, the cup that you have put on this table for me, it runs over, it overflows. Remember his third problem he has on his list, not having enough. What he says here, my problem about not having enough, about whether there will be more tomorrow, God, you will pour out enough on this table to meet my needs. God, I know that any table that you prepare, there will be more than enough to solve this problem. And I don't know if you wrote down financial difficulties, not having enough. Or again, maybe it's time not having enough or, or any other thing that you don't have enough of. But this is true for you as well. When God has prepared a table, it will not leave you wanting more. I, I know we said that already another way in the first week of this series, but it is worth saying again until we get it, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. My cup runs over. Let's just say it until we get it. When God has prepared a table, it will not leave you wanting more. David, in this one little verse, says three things about our problems. That God is working on solutions specific to you, your problems. Even when you don't see it, he's working. That the solution will bring you health and, and joy and gladness, and his solution will not leave you wanting more. I wanna ask you to look again at the list of problems that you wrote down. And, and I anticipate that, that some of these have gotten you disheartened, right? Where is God? Is he working? I imagine some have brought you grief and sadness and maybe anger, and you need to know the solution that is coming will bring you joy, gladness. 
I wonder if you've lost hope that, that any solution will be a good enough solution. And what I hope you can lean into out of this verse is that that good shepherd will not prepare a table that leaves you wanting. This week, as you think about those problems, and in fact, as you notice new ones, because we're good at problem noticing, would you remember the shepherd who is at work as we speak, preparing a table, solving in a way that only he can? And would you ask, God, what is the table that you're preparing for me?